Support for this podcast comes from Canva. When you look good, you feel good. But when your presentations look great, it can feel like you're walking on a cloud. You can design stunning work presentations, docs, whiteboards, and videos with Canva. Start with a designer-made template. Use it as a springboard for your design. Add images, graphics, charts, and more from Canva's massive media library. Start designing today at canva.com. Designed for work. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Episode 209. 209 is the area code of North Central California. In 2009, President Obama was sworn in as the 44th president of the United States, and Captain Sully safely landed a commercial plane on the Hudson River. I think of Barack Obama every Valentine's Day as I am Obama myself. Go, go, go! Welcome to the 209th episode of the Prop G Pod. In today's episode, we speak with Catherine Gale, the founder of the Institute for Political Innovation and co-author of The Politics Industry, how political innovation can break partisan gridlock and save our democracy. We discussed with Catherine how we can fix our broken two-party system with political innovation and what to look out for in our midterm elections next week. Okay, what's happening? All right, so we've got a megalomaniac running a social media platform. I should say we have another megalomaniac running a social media platform. Let's start there. What should we talk about? What's the 411? What's on the docket? What wave is forming? Which, let, me, let me think. What should we talk about? Shortly after Elon took control of Twitter, a wave of right-wing politicians celebrated their right to free speech and uh, also racial slurs and anti-Semitic memes spiked on the platform. Um, just to be fair, it looks as if most of this came from a small number of sources that were sort of testing or, I don't know, battle testing free speech, if you will. Uh, also, Russia's former president praised him by tweeting, good luck at Elon Musk in overcoming political bias and ideological dictatorship on Twitter. Oh, thank God. By the way, Elon believes that we should seriously consider China or Hong Kong should consider uh, or enter into discussions for Taiwan to become an administrative China. And wouldn't you, wouldn't you know, what a coincidence. Probably half of Elon's net worth is tied up in the blood sugar level of Xi Jinping, and that is uh, factories and their biggest growth market in China. And what do you know? He's carrying Xi's water and now, and now parroting talking points for Putin and now controls Twitter. What could go wrong? What, or maybe the question is, what could go, what could go right? Uh, uh, can you believe, seriously, seriously, can you believe this shit? We have this individual now deciding battlefield technologies. Anyways, good for you, Elon. Really glad everyone has their free speech back and we're freed of Twitter's former dictatorship. I mean, my gosh, I, it was, I just felt so censored on Twitter. There was that time when when I wasn't censored, and then there was that time I said something really obnoxious and totally inappropriate, and I wasn't censored. I mean, what is it these people want to do on Twitter exactly? When has Elon been censored? You have to be so vile or spread so much misinformation before they even threaten to, to delete your account. It's just, what on earth? And this notion of free speech, it's not free speech. It's not the public square. It's the goddamn private square. 
It's the private square. Do I have an obligation to have AOC and Ted Cruz comment, come on my podcast and spew whatever they have to say? No, because it's a private company. It's just crazy how we have totally confused what free speech in the first amendment is. And by the way, let's talk about Twitter from a business perspective and moderation, if you will. What is the least moderated platform? And that's 4chan. And then somewhere in the middle, you'd argue that it's Pinterest, Twitter, Snap, Meta. And then what by far is the most moderated platform where if you post a video and use the terms COVID, that video gets taken down and your account suspended? You guessed it, TikTok. And now let's look at success. And what do you know? There is a near-perfect correlation between moderation and economic growth and economic value. By the way, TikTok, the most moderated platform in the world, is now worth more than, get this, Meta. ByteDance, the parent company, repurchased shares from employees or offered to repurchase shares at a valuation of $300 billion, and now Facebook's about $250 or $260. So ByteDance is now worth more than Meta. And what do all of these things have in common? Simple. The more moderated, the more moderated the more valuable, the greater the growth. So Twitter's limited success is a function of its moderation, not despite it. So anyways, good luck with that. He's already walking it back. And by the way, he's already parroting the dog's talking points around business strategy. I think subscription could work. They've kind of fucked up or they kind of don't have a sense for it. They want to do, they want to anchor it around the blue check. That doesn't make any sense because there's some people with a blue check that should be free. Journalists, nonprofits, whatever, political figures, creators, content creators, but there are a lot of people who have massive followings who get paid to tweet. Why wouldn't Twitter take on the same complexion as Apple and say, we're going to take 30% of that cabbage? When Prop G promotes his podcast here for free or promotes his podcast on Twitter for free, there's some economic value there. And they should be able to assess what that economic value is and step in and say, hey, Prop G team, we're going to charge you 10, 20, 30% of what we perceive that economic value to be. Every corporation in the world, every entity in the world now has a Twitter account that they use similar to a firm called PR Newswire. They used to spend $70, $80, $120, to put out a press release to various periodicals and media outlets all over the world and pay a fee. Why on earth would Twitter not charge that? What happens? A, it's a better business model. It's more enduring. It survives a recession. And B, it creates better incentives. Your incentive is around uh, adding value to the end consumer, not around weaponizing or enraging them such that they just keep coming back to the goddamn platform by spreading incendiary content. It's the ad model that has fucked everything up. Everything reverse engineers to Sheryl Sandberg's success at Meta when she created an ad model that was hugely scalable with an incredible ad stack. And as a result, and I don't believe this was intentional on her part, she just ignored it when she saw signs that shit was getting awful. It creates an ecosystem where we just want you engaged no matter what, which equals enragement, which equals more Nissan ads. And by the way, this is nothing that CNN and Fox don't do themselves. It's just that these platforms do it at scale. So where does Twitter need to head? It needs to head to subscription. Still have their head up their ass, slightly starting to pull it out, starting to pull it out. We can see the neck again. We can see the neck again. But, but they're not thinking correctly here. They're not, they're not price discriminating that same seat on my flight from LAX to Denver is worth more to different people at different times. They need price discrimination and segmentation here. Caitlyn Jenner's blue check is worth millions of dollars to her. The blue check for Stephen King is worth a lot less than the blue check for Planned Parenthood is worth a different amount of money. I mean, this is just, come on guys, think, think. You're supposed to you electrify the automobile industry. You think you can put a man on Mars, but you can't figure out price discrimination or surplus value. There is immense surplus value that needs to be 
captured and charged for on Twitter. Okay, so back in February 2021, I wrote the following in our No Mercy No Malice newsletter. Open quote, Twitter's management, enabled by legacy board members, has demonstrated an alarming disregard for the Commonwealth, weak strategic thinking, and an ability to create a fraction of the shareholder value that is possible for the platform. Twitter's financial weakness gives it a chance for redemption. It's time. Close quote. So, does that redemption appear to be taking place? Are we, is Twitter being redeemed? Is is Musk redeeming himself, if you will, around some of the shitty behavior leading up to this acquisition? Let's talk about what's happened so far uh, four days post-acquisition. Firing Parag and other senior managers for cause. By the way, quick story. Quick story on firing people for cause. You can't. You can't fire people for cause. I had an employee at my last firm who was addicted to opiates, stole $120,000 from the firm, and my counsel's advice to me It's going to be really difficult to fire her for cause unless the senior management team at Twitter gets convicted of a crime by a jury of their peers. Then Elon has a shot at firing them for cause. But this is nothing but an attempt to intimidate them, try and reduce their payouts, which they are obligated, which they are owed. And guess what? For the second time in as many months, the day before this thing goes to trial and he might actually have to go under deposition, he's going to see the light and pay them everything they are owed. Just humor him charge him million dollars in legal fees, and then tell him that he's going to lose, said every lawyer that has worked for Musk in the last six months. And not only that, how does this help the culture? I'm not going to uphold your agreements if I don't like them. So what do we have here? We have the retweeting of baseless conspiracy theories, an attack on employees' contracts, an attempt to intimidate them and take the money that they are owed, and also, my favorite, appointing advisors that are literally the worst advisors in the world. Guys in their 50s who have used the platform to weaponize their user base, to attack incessantly people who attempt to have a conversation around the value of the septic tank that is their portfolio companies. I can look at who he has decided to appoint to be his advisors. It's literally the council on Little Dick Energy and pumping my investments and attacking other people who want to have an honest conversation. What have we decided? Okay, this platform is toxic. I don't know. Let's pour more fucking cyanide into the river that is Twitter. Jesus Christ, day four. We'll be right back for our conversation with Catherine Gale. When your work presentations and docs look good, you look good. You can design stunning work presentations, docs, whiteboards, and videos with Canva. You can start with a designer-made template, then use that as a springboard for your design. Add images, graphics, charts, and more from Canva's massive media library. Or get a huge head start with AI-powered Canva presentations and docs. Just describe what you want with a few words, and Canva will generate amazing slides and text in seconds. It's AI that anybody can use, no matter what department you work in or whatever work task you need to get done. Look, we all need to visually communicate at work. Canva makes it easy to get your point across while looking professional. And at the end of it all, that stunning Canva presentation is going to make you look good. Wow any audience and finish your work faster. Start designing today at canva.com. Design for work. Support for this podcast comes from Constant Contact. If you're a business owner, you already know that it's really, really hard to cut through the noise of everyday life. If you want to connect with your customers, you need to break through the noise. You need Constant Contact. 
Constant Contact is a marketing platform that makes it easy to reach new audiences, grow your customer list, and connect over email, text, social media, and more. Whether you're a marketing guru or just learning the ropes, Constant Contact offers writing assistance tools and automation features that make it simple to say the right thing at the right time. So get going and start growing your business today with a free trial at ConstantContact.com. Just go to ConstantContact.com right now. Constant Contact, helping the small stand tall. ConstantContact.com. Welcome back. Here's our conversation with Catherine Gale, the founder of the Institute for Political Innovation and co-author of The Politics Industry, How Political Innovation Can Break Partisan Gridlock and Save Our Democracy. Catherine, where does this podcast find you? I am in Chicago. Chicago, nice. Um, Let's bust right into it. Let's start with the problem. You say the two-party system is broken. Why is it broken? Uh Aha. It's actually, I think, more accurate to say that the system isn't broken. It's doing what it's designed to do. And the problem is it's not designed to solve problems on behalf of voters. It's designed to further the growth and power and revenues of the political industrial complex. And that it's doing really, really great. So say more. How's that happen? Our Constitution fits in our pockets, right? That's why we can all have the pocket Constitution. And that, I think, can tell us quite quickly that there isn't much in that Constitution about how we actually run the day-to-day of what I would call the politics industry or the day-to-day of how we govern, how legislation happens. And those rules norms and practices of how we set up the game of politics, if you want to call it that, are the elements, are the rules that create the incentives that everybody in that industry responds to. So we have had to invent, since we formed our country, the way we're going to elect people to Congress and to state legislatures and statewide offices. We've had to invent how people are going to work together when they are deciding on legislation. And in any human endeavor, the rules of of a game, be it a serious game like politics or other games like board games or basketball, the rules of the game affect the way the game is played and affect the outcomes of that game. And the net result of the rules of the game in politics is that the two companies that exist in politics, the Democrats and Republicans, keep growing larger and more powerful and everybody associated with that, while the customers keep getting less and less satisfied. So we'll see that, you know, Congress has, let's say, a 10 to 20 percent approval rating. And in in any other industry that was as large and as thriving as politics with 80 percent of customers dissatisfied and there's only two companies some entrepreneur would come in to create a new company to give customers what they want. There'd be competition. And yet we never see that in politics because it turns out that the two parties work very well together in one particular way. And that is to rig the rules of the game to protect themselves jointly 
from any new competition. And when there's not any new competition, the customers are not going to get what they want. And that's why voters don't get what they want in this country. But everybody, I mean, the notion of a third party isn't a new one. And for the majority of democracies, it is a two-party system. Where, why hasn't a third party been able to get traction? And what can you point to or what other nations can you point to where multiple parties has, has been an effective solution? Yeah, let me first say that I do not suggest that any particular number of parties is going to solve our problems, a third party, a fourth party, a fifth party. In fact, our problem is not that we have only two. Our problem is that the current two are guaranteed to remain the only two, regardless of what they do or don't get done on behalf of the voters. So we don't need more parties per se. We need the threat of more parties if the current ones don't start solving problems that make voters happy and deliver results, you know, in real people's lives. So it's the pressure of competition that we need. Do you think more than a third party, we'd benefit more from ranked choice voting or open primaries? So my preferred solution is something called final five voting, which is the combination of a top five primary and instant runoff voting general election. And that creates those two elements of election change combined in final five voting create the conditions for competition. And that means, yeah, you could have a third party emerge, but you'll also have lots of competition within the Republican Party or within the Democratic Party. And the most important thing that they do, and this is the the root cause that we've mostly not seen, is that final five voting will ensure that nobody wins an election until November voters turn out. Can you explain final five? Final five voting is, as I just said, the combination of two changes to our election system, one in the primary and one in the general. In the primary, we get rid of party primaries where there's a Democrat primary and a Republican primary. And instead, we have just one primary ballot and everybody running is on the same ballot. Regardless of party, everybody votes using that ballot, regardless of party. Pick your favorite, polls close, count the votes, and the top five finishers will advance to the general election. Then between the primary and the general, we benefit from a debate of diverse candidacies, ideas, visions, personalities, and then we get to the general election, and now that we have the benefits of competition, we need to decide who wins. And, of course, you wouldn't want one of those five to win with 21% of the vote, which could happen if the vote split relatively equally five ways. So we implement instant runoffs to narrow the field of five to the final two, at which point the candidate with the majority wins. It's just like a series of runoff elections, but instead of voters needing to keep coming back for each additional round of runoff, the voters cast all their votes at once using a ranked ballot. And that combination is final five voting. So, Catherine, what's the biggest misconception about final five voting? Final five voting is 
consistently confused with ranked choice voting. Final five voting is not ranked choice voting. Here's why. Because they're trying to solve for different problems. So people who are pushing ranked choice voting want to make voting more fair, want to make elections more fair and more representative and more democratic, all of which are are good goals. But what problem we're solving for, which we discussed earlier, is how to make those people that are elected able to do the work of solving our problems by working across the aisle and negotiating. And only final five voting does that because final five voting, which is the combination of the top five primary and instant runoff general, makes sure no winners are chosen until November. Whereas if you have ranked choice voting on its own and you put it, for example, in party primaries in the general election, you'll still have 85% of the House members chosen in a party primary, and they will still only answer to that segment of voters that votes in those low turnout primaries. So you don't re-enfranchise November voters. It is through the re-enfranchisement of all November voters and having real competition to hold those elected accountable and having that competition occur in November that we're going to get the better results. And and I'll say a second thing, if I may. It's really not helpful to call the process by which we choose the majority winner ranked choice voting. We need to talk about it as what it really is, which is it's a series of instant runoffs. Yeah, and it, I mean, my fear, maybe it's this sort of illuminates my politics, but that that type of, and that that's and appears entirely rational to me. And whether it's gerrymandering or the primary system, we just end up with extremists on both sides. Nobody gets along. And we have what I would refer to as minority rule. My fear is that unless it's federal legislation, if you go state by state, the states that will do this and see the wisdom in it will be primarily progressive states. I mean, for example, the New York Supreme Court has basically said New York is guilty of gerrymandering. But no red states seem to be headed that way. Um, do you worry that this ultimately ends up being a gift, and maybe it should be a gift to conservatives? Because it feels to me like the states that will embrace this final five tend to be on the more um, progressive side. Having said that, as I listen to myself talk, um, Alaska has embraced this, right? Right. So let's make it clear that the goal of final five voting is to reenfranchise every single November voter and ensure that winners are never chosen until November. And that is not so that final five voting will change who wins the elections. It's so that whoever wins will be able to do different things when they're in Washington governing, that they will be able to reach across the aisle, innovate, negotiate, make a deal, and vote yes on the difficult deal that they've crafted to solve these complex problems. Now coming to your question about whether progressive states are going to implement this, the facts show us that progressive states are not more likely to implement this. First, we, it's, it's been passed in Alaska, which is you know known to be a, quote, red state. But the second thing is, Scott, that the next state— on on track for final five voting is Nevada. 
Nevada voters will vote on November 8th, yes or no, to final five voting in Nevada. And the Democratic governor, the two current Democratic senators, issued a joint statement earlier this year saying that this was bad for, you know, Nevada. And Final Five Voting has also done something that I don't think anything else has done in Nevada. It's united Democrats and Republicans because the Republican establishment in Nevada is also opposed, which is to say that those people who are currently in the business of politics, they want it to stay the same. They don't care about November voters. To that point, 95% of incumbents are reelected. Congress, our elected representatives, have never been older. We have sort of the oldest leadership in the world, at least of a democracy, and every year it gets older. What are your thoughts on term limits and age limits? I come from business, and so I have this rule that the only things I want to suggest that people invest their time in and hopes in are efforts like Final Five voting that are both powerful, as in they'll change how the results Congress gives us, and that they're achievable. And achievable is what I call uh, a ruthless metric, because I define it as we have to be able to get that powerful in a matter of years, not decades. So the thing about term limits for Congress is that they're not achievable. They require a constitutional amendment. So that's not going to happen before I'm dead. So we could spend a lot of time talking about whether they're powerful or not. And I would actually end up making a case that they're not as powerful as people think. But since they're not achievable, we don't even need to talk about it. What's, that, what's the point? Yeah. That's so we really, yeah. I, I find it interesting that in business and even our own home lives, we don't talk about things that we could only dream of that aren't possible. We live in reality. But for some reason in politics, particularly in reform, we like to think about how we wish things were as if that makes them worth investing in. We need to find things that we wish were so that we have the power to make so. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's really insightful. So the midterms are next week. What are you looking for? Or what are you looking out for, I should say? I'm not looking forward to this in the midterms, but I am deeply concerned that the symptoms um, of this broken system are going to show themselves in, again, very distressing ways. So I'm likely to find the results of the midterms, not just in who wins, uh, but really more what how the public handles it and how media handles it and what it does to our unity, I'm likely to find it very, very distressing. And the, what I hope will be the bright spot in it is that Nevada Final Five voting will be announced as a win. We'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So I would imagine a lot of our listeners will say that Final Five voting makes a lot of sense. If you don't live in Nevada, how can you how can you still support and how can you be effective, uh, not just right, and, and help Final Five voting get more traction? The first thing is that people have to know that it exists and it's an option. So if I go back to 2009, I don't know about you, Scott, but I consider myself pretty politically engaged, and I honestly did not know what gerrymandering was. I I had no idea. And then gerrymandering after 2010 sort of went on this hockey stick of awareness. And now most people, I mean, I don't know the statistics, but know what gerrymandering is, and most people have a view that it isn't, you know, a good idea. It turns out, by the way, it's not in the intersection of powerful and achievable. It's not the thing we should be trying to fix right now. But, uh, and Final Five voting really bypasses the gerrymandering problem by making sure you choose winners in November anyway. But my point is that Final Five voting needs to and should soon go through that same hockey stick of awareness. And if your listeners could help make that happen by, for example, sharing your wonderful podcast, Um, and also perhaps uh, looking at my TED Talk, which they can get by Googling my name, uh, my last name, Gail, G-E-H-L, and TED Talk, and then sharing that with their friends. Uh, And and I would also say, um, if they get a little conversant with it by listening to this talk, watching TED, and looking at our website, which is at finalfivevoting.org, they can talk politics at Thanksgiving and Christmas this year. Because this is something that people across the political spectrum really come together on. Catherine Gale is a business leader turned political innovation activist. She is the former CEO of Gale Foods, a high-tech food manufacturing company in Wisconsin. In 2020, she co-authored the book, The Politics Industry, How Political Innovation Can Break Partisan Gridlock and Save Our Democracy with Harvard Business School professor Michael Porter. She joins us from Chicago. Catherine, uh, I mean this sincerely. I hope that uh, I hope your efforts get traction. I think this is an important moment where we need, I don't know, get away from minority rule and become less polarized. And it strikes me that the incentives that you have outlined are a big, a, a big problem. Anyways, thanks for your time and your good work, Catherine. Scott, thank you. It's been a pleasure to be talking to you today. Appreciate it. Algebra of happiness, get memories out of your parents while you can. My father is struggling. He's 92 and has early onset dementia or just dementia that I think is pretty common among 92-year-olds. And when I ask him, I'm now panicked because I'm trying to find out more about his childhood. And uh, for example, I'm going to see the Glasgow Rangers uh, soccer team in Glasgow play against a smaller team in Perth. I just think it'll be so much fun to take my boys to a football match in a small community outside of Edinburgh with a 7,000-seat stadium. I think that's going to be just so much fun, and I'm so excited. So I call my dad. He has a really difficult time on the phone, and I asked him, uh, 
uh, about the Glasgow Rangers and when he when he went to those games and he didn't remember he didn't know what I was talking about and it just struck me okay uh, as he loses his memories he's just lost the Glasgow Rangers and that's really sad that's a moment of connected tissue between him and me and between him and me and his grandsons and now it's gone and it's unlikely it'll ever come back so my advice is the following it goes much faster than you think it's going to go and so sit your parents down and ask them a lot of detail and maybe even video it or record it about their youth and them growing up. Because once it's gone, it's like you really miss it. I really now uh, am angry that I didn't find out more about my dad's childhood and the sporting teams. My dad served on a ship. My dad served in the Royal Navy. And I know he was a frogman. I know, I know he jumped into the water. And I know he repaired planes, but I don't know which planes he repaired. I would love to go find a replica model of the planes my dad repaired and give it to my kids. There's just so much cool shit that I could be doing right now with my dad's history that it's too late for. I know some of it, but not enough. So time marches on relentlessly. So my advice is find those memories, find that connective tissue before your parents lose them. Our producers are Caroline Shagrin and Drew Burrows. Sammy Resnick is our associate producer. If you like what you heard, please follow, download, and subscribe. Thank you for listening to the Prop G Pod from the Vox Media Podcast Network. We will catch you next week. That was good. Thanks to Canva for their support. You're busy, there's no denying that, and we all wish for just a little more time in the day. So why not let Canva help you get your work done faster and more efficiently? You can get started with their AI-powered presentations. Just describe what you want with a few words and Canva will generate amazing slides in seconds. It's AI that anybody can use, no matter what department you work in or whatever task you need to get done. Finish your deck faster. Start designing today at canva.com. Designed for work. 're to do's less time and an infinite number of tools to keep track of sometimes doing business has never felt harder but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals you can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier imagine this high quality leads fast closing deals wildly happy customers and more benchmark breaking quarters it's not a miracle it's HubSpot visit hubspot.com to get started today